everybody. Welcome <laughs> to the comic trope. This is our first episode. And we're going to talk about comics. It's in a very small room. We're surrounded by action figures, and we're probably going to get really hot and loud. That's the Sweet. best huh. intro yeah. you will ever hot get. Hot and loud. Yeah, yeah. I would listen to anything that promised to be hot and loud. Right. So we want to make sure that you guys listening know who's speaking. This is Blake, and we're going to do a little roundabout and do some icebreakers. So I want you guys to introduce yourselves and give me a comic book that made you want to continue to read comics, and then also figure out a better tagline. So that when I introduce the comic trope, I, I don't just say hot and loud. <laughs> so let's start with Amos. <laughs> All right. Uh, so yeah, I'm uh, Amos. Uh, I've, I guess, read comics on and off since I was about 14 or 15. I got into them when I worked uh, for credit at a uh, comic book store in Greensboro called Agni Comics, which is a fantastic place. Um, the first stuff that I remember reading that made me go, wow, this is awesome. Uh, I would say the Brian Michael Bendis and Alex Maleev run on Daredevil mm -hmm. was definitely something that, that made me think, oh man, especially the artwork, which was incredible. Uh, I was also really into Alan Moore's Swamp Thing, which you know, is much older than, than that, but that's something I picked up early on. Uh, Hellboy was another big one. I uh, got super into that uh, during that time in high school. So that's that's pretty much where I started. And you got a tagline for us? Oh, God. I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty partial to hot and loud. Um, <laughs> shit. Uh, I, don't know. I don't know. I'm going to have to think about it. How about comics? The wave of the future. <laughs> yeah. Is that better? It's, it's pictures on paper <laughs> that you read. Excuse me. All right, Dave. Why don't you introduce yourself and... Answer the questions that I asked you just a second ago. <laughs> so my name is David. I have been into comics since I was uh, pretty young. Uh, I'd say mid-80s, probably. Um, and I probably initially got into comics reading probably what everybody reads, the, the big stuff, uh, which would have probably been X-Men or Spider-Man uh, at the time. I kind of fell off the wagon for a little bit and got back on in college whenever I was working for store credit um, after meeting uh, Sequoia to my right over here uh, at another job uh, for credit to pay for all the comics that my uh, habit had picked back up over the, the subsequent years. Uh, these days I read almost exclusively digital and I have pared down to just a few books that I really like to concentrate on. And? And uh, a tagline? Yeah. Oh, I don't know, man. I mean, you know, Excelsior is already taken, I feel like, so what was can't the do that. What was Yeah. <laughs> hobble, I, hobble gibbery? Uh, Teddy Bogophilia. That's right. So. Your home comic for Teddy Bogophilia. <laughs> comic trope. Your, your guide to the world of Teddy Bogophilia. <laughs> Very nice. All right, on that note, Mr. Sequoia. Hi, my name is Sequoia, and uh, I've been a comic book fan since the, we'll say, um, early to mid '80s, mm -hmm. roughly. Um, I think you know, for me, comic books were something that I, uh, that were always around me in various forms. I mean, you know, the Christopher Reeve Superman movies and Super Friends and stuff like that, and the old Adam West Batman television series. But um, I really got into reading comics, um, 
I think it was a it was an issue of X Men that kind of started for me. Um, I remember our family we were going on a road trip, and I uh, picked up something at a convenience store, and I remember the cover just really sticking out to me. It was a uh, kind of purple and green cover drawn by Mark Silvestri, but it was a uh, Wolverine uh, crucified on a giant wooden X, and I just had to buy that issue to see what the hell that was all about. Um, but also, they kind of coincided around the same time as the um, the Tim Burton was it eighty eight, eighty nine Batman film, think, yeah. yeah. And uh, I had I had Batmania uh, bad because um, I remember particularly my uh, my middle school photography teacher put me on to The Dark Knight Returns and just being amazed by that. So, uh, you know, I, I, th those were my two things really as a kid growing up was Batman and X-Men. And, you know, I've worked for the last 18 years on and off for Capital Comics of Raleigh. So comic books have been a very major part of my life. You know, so. You got a tagline for me? Uh, <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> Comic trope. Loud scarecrows. <laughs> Comic trope up your butt. Well, there you go. The worst tagline. Ever. <laughs> we're gonna stick with we're gonna stick with hot and heavy for now. Hot and loud. Hot and loud. Hot and heavy. Hot and loud. Yeah. None of these are appropriate. No. If anyone has a tagline they're willing to give us, please uh, go ahead and tweet at me at the Comic Trope. There you go. Man, you already have a Twitter account for nah, Not yet. I hope that one's open. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> if not, someone's going to get it. Yeah. I'm just assuming that that doesn't exist. There you go. All right. So let's talk about new comics that we're reading. Uh, I've recently started reading the, the new Carnage that came out. It's written by Jerry Conway, who uh, helped create The Punisher and was also the person who thought of the the death of Gwen Stacy in Spider-Man. So he, he's been around a while and I was pretty surprised to see him and the artist Mike Perkins who did uh, Annihilation Conquest with Abnet back in the day or 2006 or something like that, right? Yeah. Anyways, uh, kind of team up and I, I don't want to spoil it, it's about five, five issues in and it really is pretty much a horror story. So it starts off with uh, Cletus hanging out in a diner after he just killed a bunch of people. And on the TV, someone talks about him, mispronounces his name, which pisses him off, and then we find out that the first book he has ever read was How to Make Friends and Influence People, which I thought was <laughs> just a great start to the book because it's the most ridiculous thing for Carnage to read because he's, you know, I mean, he is basically the wild card enemy of the Marvel Universe. I mean, he is just kill. He's kind of like the the more evil Deadpool in a way to me because he's like a cartoon character the way he just is just does carnage, right? But anyway, so he finds out that Manny, who's basically a uh, a war veteran who he thought he killed, she is uh, saying she's alive and, and he didn't think that she was alive. And he is being goaded into going to this um, old mining operation so that the government can catch him. So that's basically the back end of the story and it's written and it feels like an aliens movie. It feels like a predator kind of story because it's it's all about the evil big bad who is way worse than anyone else and they're 
trying to get him in a small space so that they can trap him under the ground in these caves. So it's a lot like, I mean, it feels like they're in space. It feels like that like kind of claustrophobic aliens kind of let's, let's kill this thing that is absolute evil, which is really neat. I mean, it's written as a horror story straight up. Um, and then we find out that Eddie Brock is in there, but he's no longer Venom. He's now Toxin, and he's got like some kind of collar on him so that Manny can at any point unleash the, the um, symbiote to him if, if stuff goes awry, which of course later on in the books it does, and it's awesome. But they're kind of just setting up this team. And then um, the son of Jonah Jameson, who I think is John Jameson, yeah. which is like the worst <laughs> thing. Yeah, it's, it's an awful name. But So he was Man-Wolf a long time ago. Or was it Wolfman? Were, werewolf by Night. Were, yeah. yeah, one of those. Anyways, he is some kind of werewolf dude. Um, but he doesn't know that. And we see that later on. And, and I want to talk about the, the, the big reveal. Um, but it brings, some, it brings in some stuff from the old Dracula comics, which you don't expect. So it's really being written as a horror story. And they're introducing Carnage as more of a, a big bad from like the Dracula werewolf type comics, which is a really new way to present Carnage because the last time I read Carnage, he had become good in like Axis of Evil. It was awful. <laughs> he was just like, no one wants to see a nice Carnage. No one wants that. Oh yeah, I do remember uh, that little run. Yeah, it was like, well, yeah, I think that was the whole premise was like good guys became right. bad, bad guys became good. Right. That somehow Car- Carnage had a uh, a turn of, of conscience or whatever. Like he was just that. a well-meaning redneck. But that makes sense for Jerry Conway to kind of take that angle with Carnage because if I'm not mistaken, didn't he used to do a lot of that 70s yeah. uh, horror stuff for for uh, for Marvel back in the day? So, yeah, okay, that's that's really interesting. You know? Yeah, I, I would love to do a segment where we, we go through this run because I'm about five in and... It's amazing what they've done with Carnage and how they've kept the backstory exactly the same. They've kept the character the same, but the way they're presenting him makes him a different kind of bad guy. And you know that's never done. You, you never see someone like put into basically a new genre right. because this is being written as as an old school horror tale and stuff that Marvel did really well back in the day and pretty much stopped. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to see how it ends. And I should probably stop talking, otherwise I'm just going to do all the reveals. Um, <laughs> but, Amos, you have something that you want to talk about, right? Yeah, sure. Uh, so, yeah, well, one thing I've been reading is it's called Batman Europa. It's a four-issue series by Brian Azzarello, who is known mostly for 100 Bullets. Uh, he's also been working with Frank Miller on his newest dark, old Batman thing. Uh, but anyway, so this is like... Have you guys seen those things on the internet where supposedly someone draws portraits of themselves while taking LSD? Have you ever seen that? <laughs> no. Yeah, so they'll draw a portrait, a self-portrait and fairly normal looking, and then 10 hours later they'll draw another one and they look like some kind of space alien made of light and, you know, progresses <coughs> through the, the trip. Anyway, that's kind of what Batman Europa looks like. I can't remember. It, it's four different artists because it's four different issues, and it takes place across different cities in Europe. Um, it's Batman and Joker through the whole thing. 
Uh, they go to, this could be out of order, they go to Berlin, they go to Rome, uh, they go to Paris, so it's cool seeing them in you know, places that aren't Gotham. Um, and and it's, it's a weird story. They've both been infected with this virus that's slowly killing them, and you know, they have to get a cure. Uh, so it's the two of them temporarily as, uh, you know, they have a brief alliance and mostly Joker's making jokes while Batman is barely living because for some reason the virus affects him more than it does Joker. So you have these scenes where uh, something's going on but neither one of them is really a reliable narrator of the sequence of events because Batman is tripping his mind off and Joker's just being Joker. So uh, it's just a really surreal uh, adventure. Uh, while they try to track <coughs> whoever it was that you know gave them this virus, but uh, it's pretty cool, especially from an art perspective. It's fun, and it's only four issues, so it's easy to read. Who uh, do we know who infected them? Yeah, but you Is know, that it's, a a, it's yeah, it's okay. uh, it's a mystery <coughs> until the end. It's, uh, it's, it's a dude, it's a person. Can't really go anywhere past that. Yeah. Since it just came out, I don't want to say it was this guy. No, no, I'm, I'm with you. I they had announced that project like ten years ago, and I remember the whole oh, thing really? behind. Yeah, um, <laughs> it was supposed to be Jim Lee doing the artwork uh-huh. back then, and like he and Arello were real tight ten years ago. Yeah, like they ruined Superman together. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> but I mean, you know, Jim Lee's a busy guy and stuff. But I was finding it funny because I remember when they first announced it was supposed to be like this big ten or twelve issue. Um, maxi series. Oh and, wow! Yeah, Jim Lee was supposed to do the artwork on it. And it's like, oh, here it is, ten years after the fact, and it's like, <laughs> you know, I didn't know that at all. Yeah, I didn't have any backstory to what it was. I just saw it on the shelf, and the guy was like, "Are you like Batman?" Right? Yeah, sure. Okay, I'll read this. <laughs> Who says no? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, I'm not. I don't even consider myself like a Batman guy. If someone was like, "Do you like Batman?" I'm like, "Well, yeah. I mean, it's Batman. I gotta like it. it's Batman. It's Batman." Yeah. Cool. So sorry. Um, anyone else have newish stuff they want to talk about? Yeah, I'll talk just briefly about uh, the Witcher books. They just finished up their second arc. Um, it's been probably, I guess, closer to two years ago, and they've only done two five-issue arcs. Uh, but they've been either coming up with new original stories in the, the Witcher line of things. For those of you that aren't familiar with it, uh, the Witcher is a series of novels by a Polish author, and I'm going to attempt to pronounce this correctly, but I don't know that I've ever heard it pronounced out <laughs> loud. Uh, but his name is Andrzej Chikowski. I don't. I don't know. It's. It's. I. I don't speak Polish, obviously. So, uh, but it's fantastic. Uh, they have been translated. The majority of his books have at this point been translated to English. Uh, and they're fantastic novels to read. I got into them after playing the original uh, Witcher video game, you know, four or five years ago. But the books, uh, Dark, Out, Dark Horse are putting them out, and they are either adaptations of short stories from some of those novels, or they are original works. Uh, but the most recent one is called Fox Children. Um, it's written by Paul Tobin and, dr- uh, and drawn by Joe Carrillo, Carrio, something along those lines. Uh, the, a couple of covers have actually been done by Mike Mignola, and that's certainly what it is the most reminiscent of Me Too, since it does deal a lot with uh, the supernatural and the occult, uh, as Mignola's work on Hellboy and uh, BPRD and things. Uh, 
Uh, it's, it's dark in tone, uh, but The Witcher, if you guys are familiar with him as a character, uh, can make light of things like that because that's the world he lives in and he is the most uh, appropriate, probably in his own universe, to be able to um, assess those kinds of threats and situations. Um, it is very, very much um, more along the lines of things that I enjoy from the sword and sorcery kind of, of things. It's, it's rooted in more in folktale and you know, ancient you know, stories and evil than it is in like the, the grandiose fantasy that you get out of something like a, a Harry Potter or a, a Lord of the Rings. So I really enjoyed it. If you guys are into something you know, along those lines, the, the dark and uh, occult world, I can't, I can't recommend it enough. It's fantastic. It's better than video games. Than the the Witcher video games or yeah. just video games in general? Uh, is it better than fantasy? Yeah. It doesn't take as long. <laughs> I've been playing Witcher three for almost a year. <laughs> uh, it's uh, it, I guess it just depends because they all kind of bring something different. I really enjoy the fact that a lot of what I'd imagined while reading the novels uh, definitely uh, is is drawn fantastic. Um, in, in the, the books themselves. So, I mean, if you enjoy them, I'd say it's an extension of that as, as opposed to, like, if you kind of enjoy the video game, read this instead, so. Cool. I'm, I wonder, I've never actually read something after I have, like, played a video game or seen a movie. I wonder if I picked that up, if I could get the video game out of my head when I was watching it or when I was reading the novel. Mm. I don't know. They're different enough mediums, at least to me anyways, to where, you know, I just, I think about the adventures in the video game, not that they were animated by polygons and told through voice actors, but they're just part of the lore. At this point, having read it across several different mediums, um, I, I believe that it kind of just, it extends past all of those at this point and becomes part of the mythos that my mind has kind of latched onto. Now, have you bootlegged the uh, the Witcher television series? No, I haven't. I, <laughs> when did this come out? I, it's been a while ago. Yeah. I mean, these books have been in print in oh, Poland yeah. since the eighties. Oh, the, the late eighties, early nineties was when oh, they wow. were first being written. Uh, and it wasn't until the video game um, took off here. The first video game took off here for PCs five years ago or so that they just began kind of translating them to English and I don't think they're com they're finished yet I've got I think five or six of the seven or eight that exist I'm sure there's a Witcher fanboy out there listening to this like oh god there's like nine of them man and there's only seven of them in English uh, but I, I, I enjoy them and I'll, I'll, I read them as they come out uh, on iBooks so cool that sounds good Sequoia you want to talk about anything new you want to talk about uh, something that's old and awesome uh, or older and awesome Nothing older and awesome. I hate to say it. I'm I'm in one of my phases. I tend to ebb and flow when it comes to what I'm reading comic book wise. Um, right now I'm at at uh, one of my kind of uh, ebbs. Ebbs. <laughs> I'm not reading it's a lot, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but uh, currently, the book I'm really enjoying is this title called Injection, and it's a, a image comic, and it's written by Warren Ellis, drawn by Declan Shalvey and colored by Jordi Belair, and they were the creative team who worked on the uh, all-new, all-different Moon Knight series of, uh, a year or two ago. And um, this is just a continuation of their work, basically. They enjoyed working with each other so much they decided to carry it over to Image Comics. But um, uh, the premise behind it is you have this, this group of five, th this think tank 
comprised of like these five individuals who were like you know the the greatest minds in their respective fields and basically they inadvertently create something that may wind up causing the destruction of mankind and it's about their efforts to try and stop this from happening but um it's it's a very odd dark sci-fi uh, type story with some elements of horror, uh, a little bit of uh, folklore and fantasy in it as well. But, uh, you know, it's kind of reminiscent of uh, Ellis's work on Planetary, where it's all about just, you know, this weird stuff that's under the surface of everything that we think is normal and sane. There's just this oddball, uh, you know, world going on. And uh, it's a really good book. Uh, I, I really enjoyed. I can't recommend it enough. I mean, I'm a huge Warren Ellis fan, so uh, that's that's the book I'm currently digging on right now. Sounds good. Yeah. Read it. Thought of another one. Was that I have to mention because it just finished its first arc. Uh, uh, Tokyo Ghost is the name of it. It's on uh, Image. Um, it's Rick Remender or however you say his name, and. Uh, I always forget the artist's name. He's somebody who's well-known, and it, he, he draws these amazingly intricate uh, scenes. The artwork is fantastic. Sean Gordon Murphy. There you go. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's sort of a dystopian story. It's, it's, about, it's set about 70 years in the future. It takes place in Los Angeles and Tokyo. And, and, and it plays on a theme of, of people's sort of growing technological addiction so it takes the idea, you know, of people being on their smartphones all the time and just follows that to its weirdest conclusion 75 years in the future where people are constantly plugged into some sort of VR apparatus and they're always watching TV or watching porn or, you know, something like that. And they're, and they're just totally disconnected from the actual world, which has just gone to shit or puke. So uh, <laughs> it's, it's just a really awesome visual story. And uh, the dialogue is great. Uh, it, it follows this couple, uh, the woman who is not connected to any of this stuff, and she's sort of a, I guess, their version of a Luddite, which is really just a, a human who is not constantly watching TV. And then her boyfriend, who is a detective, but he's also completely off in his own world, like a lot of society is, but he's also able to do his job, which is basically being a killing machine. Uh, and it's her her struggle to bring him back from that, you know, technological dystopian nightmare that he's in with everybody else. And it's just an awesome story. It is absolutely worth checking out. You two are resident Moon Knight experts. I'll let you guys give the the kind of background of this character and run with it, and then we're gonna kind of go through this uh, this run, this six uh, book run of Moon Knight that was written by uh, Warren, Warren Ellis, Ellis, and the art was by uh, Declan Shelby, who we talked about actually a little bit ago. Yeah. So, in sitting here listening to all of us kind of recommend books, it's it's been kind of interesting because we've touched on almost. In almost every single thing we've already spoken about on the podcast to, to this point, we've touched on all these different individuals that have had some hand at some point in working on Moon Knight. Uh, we talked earlier about John Jameson and Werewolf by Night. The great thing about that is, is that the old Werewolf by Night comics are actually where Mark Spector or Moon Knight first appears wow. way back in the early 80s. 
uh, was Werewolf by Night, like number 17 or something, I think is where he first appears. But Moon Knight appears there for the first time. Uh, I believe from there, he makes a few other appearances along those lines in established books until he eventually got his own book, uh, I believe in 1980. Uh, the character was created by Doug Minch, Monch, I don't know if I'm pronouncing Minch. Minch. Um, and uh, his, his first set of comics kind of explains his entire backstory. Now they've done this several times, explain his backstory, and it's because the character itself has never really kind of caught on with popular consciousness. Uh, he's definitely had some, some runs where he was brighter in the Marvel Universe, and then complete years where no one talked about the existence of Moon Knight at all. Uh, to give you the best uh, allusion to existing comic book work, if you're not familiar with Moon Knight as a character, he's essentially Marvel's Batman. Kind of. Yeah. There's, there's definitely some, some parallels there. So the basic premise is that Mark Spector, who is a mercenary and has spent his entire adult life being just a terrible human being, uh, has a crisis of conscience at some point, and steps in to protect the innocent and is gunned down by his fellow mercenaries that he's on a job with in Egypt. Um, he falls, his lifeless body falls upon a statue of an ancient Egyptian god, um, Khonshu, who then basically takes mercy on him and revives him in order to bring him back to the world of living to have the spirit do the spirit's bidding essentially so his whole his whole thing is that on earth he's been brought back to life and given a second chance specifically to carry out the will of Khonshu uh, and they explore this in different ways over the different courses of the comic books uh, we'll talk a little bit about how they explore that in the newest run in Warren Ellis and Declan Shalvey's run but essentially he's there to protect the innocent in some form or another now the thing that I like most about Moon Knight, and we, uh, we talked earlier about, you know, hey, you like Batman, right? I've never been a huge Batman fan, and the reason that I have never been able to get my head around Batman as a character is that I understand Batman perfectly fine. I like him, you know, I enjoy the films, and I enjoy, you know, the, the detective route that a lot of the books are focused on. Uh, the thing that I've never really liked is that Bruce Wayne, for me, has always been such a static and weird character. He's so strange, just absolutely absurd. A person that spends all of his time devoted to fighting crime because he loves the city that he's from and it's the same criminal element of the city that took his parents from him, that he dresses himself up like a giant bat and goes out all night long having his non-mutated, non-superhero power-infused body getting destroyed only to wake up every single morning somehow feeling refreshed and uh, traveling around the world as a billionaire playboy uh, CEO of or major shareholder of Wayne you know, Industries, that to me has never ever really latched on. Like I just don't get it. A person with that kind of, of thing, uh, you can look at any you know crime you know crime story that's ever been of, of somebody who's that kind of strange vigilante or or serial killer, and they have serious issues, right? They're usually introverts. They're normally individuals that have, you know, some sort of a, a social phobia or an inability to deal with social, you know, situations as, as most normal people do, and that stems from, you know, everything else they've got going on. 
So Moon Knight's the exact opposite of that. It's a lot more believable. You know, he's been brought back to, I guess, you know, he's been brought back to life. Maybe that's not believable. <laughs> yeah. but that's, I was about to say, he's, he's possessed by an Egyptian god. <laughs> but there's some level of disbelief, right, with all comics. Yeah. And I think yeah. that, that, for me, that's always been a balance, right? Is yeah. that there has to be some of it that I can relate to. Like, there's a part of it that, I, that I'm interested in because it's, it's supernatural or it's fantastical, but the rest of it has to be able to, to pull you in. Right. And for me with Moon Knight, the entire thing is that, you know, he has multiple personalities. And they've manifested themselves in different ways over the years, but Mark Spector, you know, is, is more than just Mark Spector, who's the ex-mercenary turned, you know, uh, second <laughs> go at things who's become, you know, to, to riff off Batman, uh, a billionaire. His, his insight into the world of living through a god has given him the ability to you know, play the stock market and to become financially uh, very wealthy. And he uses that to fund his, his goings out at night to protect uh, the world of the living. Um, he has also picked up additional multiple personalities, which he uses to um, kind of find out more information about the world in which he inhabits, right? Batman has his, you know, uh, his team. We talked a little bit earlier uh, before the podcast got started about Oracle. We talked about, um, you know, Robin and, and the way that he fits in, Nightwing. You know, he's got a whole kind of, of team of individuals that do this work for him. Well, Moon Knight's a singular guy. He's weird, and the rest of the universe doesn't really jive with him very well. So he has actually two other personalities uh, that he, he uses um, to various effect. The first is Stephen Grant. And Stephen Grant, if I'm not mistaken, is the, the billionaire, right? That's the individual that's actually played the stock market. And um, they don't really play on this too much in the, in the current version of things. But he's the, the, the face to Mark Spector of the real world. Um, and he exists basically very superficially, only in the sense that he's, he allows uh, Mark to do what he needs to do to fund Moon Knight. And then there's Jake Lockley, which by far is the, the most 80s, uh, late 70s-ish of the, of the character, and one they don't explore, explore too often other than just having him appear here and there. Is he a cab driver? He's a cab driver. Yeah, I, I was like, is he the guy that looks like Mario? <laughs> <laughs> He's got, There's a ghost standing there with a mustache. Got, yes. And let me just say that everything... So I, I have gone back and read pretty much all of Moon Knight from the early 90s mm -hmm. after reading this Ellis run. Right. Because... It, and, one of the main reasons was is because if you just read the Ellis run, one to six, you don't get any of that. Right, none. And that's kind of what I like about the run, and we'll we'll get more into it as we go, like um, comic by comic. But there's a lot of backstory for Moon Knight, and it got muddy. It did, and that's... it's a really cool backstory, but it definitely got muddy al along the years. Um, and one thing that the Ellis I don't feel like got into that other people have is is this all real? Yeah. Because in in past comics it's been like wait a minute is he actually is Conchu really there and in him or is he just so batshit crazy right. that he thinks that a god is in him and he's killing people? Right. Exactly. And I, I think that's always been part of the appeal for me. Like Absolutely. I, for me he doesn't have to be right who he says he is or who the comic book has portrayed him to be and obviously early on he was that person right yeah. we were supposed to believe that a god had granted him a second opportunity by inhabiting his body 
And, you know, the way they've played with it uh, in several of the runs since, you know, they've done it several different ways. Um, you know, there was a, there's a, there's a run in the, the mid-2000s that was the, the major run before uh, we, we see what's been going on with him in the, in the Ellis run that uh, Bendis did, where he actually is not the three characters that we've set him up to be previously, but he believes that his multiple personalities have taken on uh, the personas of um, Tony Stark, Wolverine, and Captain America. And he, he has conversations with himself. He honestly believes that he is in Los Angeles fighting as the Avengers, when in fact he's just himself. I think it's Spider-Man. Is it Spider-Man, Wolverine, and Captain America? Yeah, yeah I don't okay. think it's Tony Stark. Yeah. I, uh, I, I got like into reading that like initially, it, it kind of turned me off. Like it's it's very Bendis, and I usually like Bendis, but uh, I didn't feel like he was capturing Moon Knight for who. No one can so. like all Bendis. So yeah. it's, <laughs> yes, it's impossible because you, you, look, you love stuff. you There's love so some much. Bendis yeah. stuff, and then you're like, this is ridiculous. Not to vent real quick, but the fact that he never ended his like uh, his Iron Man right. from Axis or whatever that never ended. Right, like, he no. just started writing it, and then it just didn't. Superior Spider Man. No, uh, sorry, Iron, Iron Man. Man. Iron. Wait, oh, what? that's right. It was it. Um, oh Lord, the um, Superior Iron Man. Yeah, that's what I meant to say. Yeah, it didn't end. It didn't. It, I don't uh, feel like it did. No, it really didn't. But I mean, that was because all that stuff led into Secret Wars, and they were gonna undo all that crap anyway. So <laughs> he was like, "Well, everything I write now isn't gonna matter, so I'm not gonna write it." Yeah. Screw you, Bendis. <laughs> Bendis. <laughs> Let's just make that our time. <laughs> yeah, these guys have this comic podcast. For some reason, they really hate Brian. What if we only only read and reviewed Bendis comics and we just talk about how much they shit. suck? We can literally do an episode a week for the next two years only recovering like, Bendis. No, see, we, we have to get Jimmy because he's, he's Jimmy's the Bendis yeah. apologist. He, he loves some Bendis. I like, I no, I like Bendis. I really like Brian. No, I, I'm half and half on that dude. Yeah, yeah. me too. And, not, and that's okay. Because he pumps out enough that like you, I'd that's be like, I like I like Wednesday Bendis. Oh really? I like Monday Bendis. Like he because he writes Wednesday seven. Bendis. Is uh, is Bendis really Mark Spector? Is he, <laughs> he's got like several personalities. Yeah, yeah. I, actually, I've heard Bendis isn't even a person. He's a conglomerate. It's of, uh, he's yeah, a yeah, yeah, he's just writers, and they just write under that pen name. And that's why <laughs> it's yeah. it's three guys, hence the three names. Yeah, it makes total any, sense. Any photos of him? That's just an actor. <laughs> it's so good. That's absolutely so good. Maybe that should just be our premise. Maybe yeah. we believe that Brian Michael multiple people. Uh, so, Moon Knight. Moon Knight. That's, right. That's a good. That's a good intro to. That's who he is. Who and he I, is. And there's a lot of Moon Knight stuff out there, and I've read an awful lot of it, but not. All of it, all of it, uh, because like I said, there's different ways that different you know writers have taken him in uh, that didn't appeal to me, and so I just haven't haven't delved into it. I do I do want to go back and read the Bendis run though. I really would like to get into that um, and just read it all the way through and just power through it if I could. And these comics are really easy to read. Yep. Um, they don't really connect. So the six don't really connect except for the first one and the last one. Um, and, it, and that only kind of like slightly connects. So it's really kind of a day in the life of crime fighting for Moon Knight, or a night in the life, I guess. Yeah. 
<laughs> hey! Blake did a thing. I, I laughed at it. Yeah, I do a dance, guys. I'll periscope it next time. That's, this episode, That's a thing, right? This, this episode is going to be called A Night in the Life of. Yeah, <laughs> you, you just wrote it. Um, so it starts off, this comic starts off basically saying, Hey, everybody, Moon Knight's back. Some like sad blogger is like, Hey, this crime fighter is back in town. It's probably someone I should know who's who's typing all this stuff. I, I'm sure that's not even a pre-established character. Really? Yeah, I think they just yeah. threw her in there to be, what do they call her, Jin or what's her name? I think that she gets called by name and gets told to just stop doing what she's doing or whatever at some point. But, but even before the panels start... In these books, uh, and you mentioned that being that it's super easy to pick up, they give you what's literally like maybe a one or two sentence mini paragraph that basically summarizes everything I just talked about for 15 minutes. Yeah, I wanted to mention that, like, as someone who I knew literally nothing about that character, I read that blurb, you know, uh, at the beginning of the first issue, and I was like, this is the most comic booky thing I've ever read. It's very <laughs> it's got every like bizarre trope of fantasy and sci-fi or something thrown in and I'm like this is going to be interesting that's good and if you guys pick it up and read it on um, Marvel Unlimited it has really corny um, audio that you can play with it Oh, really? It yeah. has that... Uh, like Fox and Pals and stuff? It's got like a little horn and a little active, hey. <laughs> I, don't, I never even used it. Um, I tried to do... The, the only comic book I ever played it, and it just, all it has is like background music. I was rereading The Winter Soldier, and it was like, all it did was play really bad, like, army, like, music. And then, like, yeah, and then you hear, like, you, then you'll hear, like, Captain America's shield, and it's like, shing! And then if you don't read fast enough, it repeats it. So, like, if I'm, like, having a conversation with my wife, and then all, all she was like, what is that? Because every three seconds, it was like, shing! <laughs> was, I just like how into the effect you are. Yeah, I'm very. <laughs> now, let me ask this: do, uh, that was that whole Marvel AR thing yeah, or whatever, where yeah. you could take your cell phone if you were actually reading the book, and whenever that logo popped up, it would either give like take bonus you to some content. video or yeah. Bo- yeah, bonus content. Like, do they still have that yep. in their books? At, they still do. Yeah, they do. Oh, the print ones. Yeah, I don't, know, asking? Yeah, I don't know about the print ones. I, I know the online ones do. Okay. Yeah. I mean, because when it comes to digital stuff, there's been some stuff that I think Marvel's gotten right, and some stuff is just like, this is asinine. I, I, we could do a whole show on stuff that works digitally and not. I, 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 I give them credit, though. They're definitely doing it. And they definitely okay. got on board much quicker than any other you know major publishers did. So, yeah, no, I love it. I yeah. love it. Yeah. So yeah, uh, Moon Knight's introed. Um, basically, the the first page is like, "Hey everyone, Moon Knight's back," and then it goes to him driving in a really really badass all white Moon Knight vehicle yeah, that's being that. like it's a limo. It's a limo. It's a stretch. It's being like, like a limo. <laughs> adjusting a, his a limousine. A limousine. <laughs> Oh <laughs> adjusting his uh, adjusting his all white tie. Um, He's thinking, what does this guy actually look? What, what would he look like in the real world? Because that suit would immediately. I, I'm waiting for somebody to cosplay. Yes, he would get dirty. <laughs> he gets so but that, dirty. But that's that's a Warren Ellis thing. Is is you know a protagonist in an all white suit? Because I mean that's what Elijah Snow and um, oh god I forgot the other character from Planetary but they both wore uh, all white uh, I think Jimmy Sparks from Authority but that's something he, he he's very fond of putting his heroes 
in white suits. But it I makes, don't know why. And, it, and it makes sense for Moon Knight because, and one of my favorite lines, like over and over, this is used pretty much throughout what? most of the Moon Knight, is like, is like, why they're gonna see you coming? Is like, that's what I want to see. That's what I want to happen. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I like. like that's, that's the part thing. I like. He's like, let's say that's his voice. Yeah. Hey there, I'm Moon Knight. <laughs> hey, I'm Moon Knight, guys. It's like that's an older <laughs> Eric Clark. <laughs> yeah, that's really bad. I don't know where that came hey, from. Hey, um, <laughs> Oh, no, no. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Not Moon Knight. It's yeah. Moon Knight again. You're real badass until you start talking. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> hey, I'm going to go in this suit. <laughs> You guys are really no, like, <laughs> whistle teeth for Brennan Stimpy. Oh, I'm that? really bad at voices. All right, <laughs> that was great. So, but what I do like about um, the books is that there's there's like story, kind of a story at the beginning, setting the mood, and then like there's a, always a badass page. It's like Marvel Enter- uh, Entertainment presents, and it will have just some really cool panels of the city or of him. Um, and then it introduces the book again, or, or what's going to be the book. Mm-hmm. I think style, like style-wise, that really works for this comic. What's like opening movie credits right. or whatever? Yeah, it's like credit sequence or title sequence. Or Sometimes yeah. that doesn't work, but especially the way the stories are told in this run, where it's basically each comic is its own mini story, and it's so amazing in twenty-two pages what he gets done for oh, yeah. me. Um, I, now I'm not going to say that it's the best six comic run ever um I, I like that the comics can pretty much hold on their own like you really don't need to read all six somebody could yeah. hand you number four and it would be just as good as if you know you'd read the previous three well and kind of tying back to what we were talking about before with bendis i mean bendis was the you know well known as being the king and the guy who kind of pushed the whole notion of the decompressed storytelling and a lot of that had to do with comic companies being aware that hey you know not only are we selling individual monthly titles we're selling trade paperbacks so we need these stories to fill up you know a complete volume of a book and we need to be able to sell it at this price point so you know a lot of times you found guys writing stories that were six to eight to twelve issues long when they could have been truncated and been like three issues or you know six issues Mm -hmm. you know and Ellis went in the opposite direction and he's been all about very economic uh, compressed storytelling and trying to give a reader as give them all the information that they can fit into a 22-page issue. Um, And this, you know, going back, not to get off subject, but the prelude actually to this run of Moon Knight goes back to Warren Ellis' run on Secret Avengers, where um, he was experimenting with the whole thing of single-issue stories, uh, different artists for every issue, which actually goes back to when he was working on Global Frequency for Wildstorm. But... um, you know, that's where he kind of debuted this version of Moon Knight. He was kind of carrying on for what had been done before, you know, the mentally ill superhero. But also, you know, just very tight but fulfilling comic book stories. And uh, this is sort of what spun out of that. If, if you, none of you have ever read I highly recommend go back and read Ellis's, I think it was like a five or six issue run. Uh, that he did on on Secret Avengers, fantastic stuff. Moon Knight was great in Secret Avengers. Oh yeah, great. Right, and right, right. and everybody shined a, in that book. Yeah, actually. and this is a this is a character you would not expect to work in a team well. No. And and there's been a few times where he's been thrown into a team like in the Ultron book. It mm-hmm. just doesn't work. It, it worked in Secret Avengers, and that his character moving into this character is the same. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, def I definitely agree with you. Secret Avengers is. Worth a read. So Moon Knight um, is called by the captain because there's been a slasher. Uh, there's been uh, ongoing um, 
murdering and whatnot. He rolls up to the cops, and the cops call him Mr. Knight. And then one of the other cops is like, why are you calling him Mr. Knight? That's Moon Knight. And he's like, well, if you call him Moon Knight, then I'm going to have to call this in and say that some crazy, you know, vigilante, vigilante justice is, is here. Yeah. And, that's who Moon Knight is. Uh, and so that pisses that other cop off, basically. And we find out later he becomes a baddie in the last uh, of the sixth run. Um, the paneling in for the slasher... I, th- I thought it was really well done. Um, you can kind of see what's going on without reading it. And you don't get that from a lot of comics, in, in my opinion. But uh, you can just glance at this and see what's happening. So I Well, you know, and, and in ten pages, whenever he meets the uh, antagonist of this issue for the first time, in the opening frame of their conversation, he commits the act that ultimately brings that encounter to a close, and you don't catch it at all. You don't even see it. But then they describe it two pages later about what actually happened when they first when he first walks in, and that's that's such a, a testament to the the creative team on this book is that they've got such a good, I guess, pace and I guess inner eye for what they want this to look like as they write it. That you're right, without even many words, you get a ton out of what the actual book is about. I mean, if this book had no words. You probably wouldn't get as much out of it, but you'd still be able to get to the end of each issue and be like, "Oh, I, I know what happened here." Yeah, you could write you could write in your own head and be pretty close to what's actually going on. And this first comic is simple. I mean, it, what they're they're showing is has been done many times over and over and over. Even even the reveal basically has happened in a bunch of different books. Mm-hmm. It, this the the. Slasher was killing everyone is an ex-Shield agent who lives in the sewer, which Moon Knight goes down in after he figures out that, well, that, you know, all of these killings have happened in the same similar kind of areas. It doesn't look like he ran away, so he's probably in the sewer. Well, I don't know how to figure that out. He's Moon Knight, whatever. But, I mean... It's a detective story. Yeah, it's it, it is. It's, it's, he's more detective than Batman, and he shows you how he did it, which yeah. is something you rarely ever get in an actual Batman comic. That's true. I guess I read over that. Well, he talks out loud to the detective about it. He goes through the crime scene. Yeah. He picks things yeah, up. Right. And what's even great about it is the detective actually mentions, he goes, all right, boys, Mr. Knight thinks in a very particular way. See if you can follow him. And it's partly because he doesn't follow him. Mm-hmm. And so he's saying it out loud as if to be like, all right, guys, watch, watch this guy do his thing. And he'll ask the question, I think, even at one point. He says, now, Mr. Knight, would you mind explaining for the uh, boys here exactly how you came to that conclusion? And that's a very... It's, it's the slightest bit of humor, right, in what's otherwise a really dark story that gives you a really great, you know, <coughs> insight into this character. And it, it is kind of absurd, right, his character as a whole. But you are getting a really good detective story because there are a lot of great things you can do with it. And, you know, he, he uses all his technology, right? And they don't even explicitly mention that very much, and, you know, that he does have this enormous... <coughs> financial empire that allows him to fund all this, but he's constantly telling either his self-driven limousine or his, uh, you know, his glider his to moon drone. his moon drone <laughs> things to look for. He, he gets it to look at, you know, police reports. It, he has it listened to police scanner and uh, determine, you know, where things could be happening. That's ultimately how he finds the entrance to the sewer. He's a, he's a well, he's he's a Batman without an Alfred. Like he does it all on his own. Well, he so. used to have he used Alfred. to have one. Yeah, keep Frenchy. Frenchy. His yes. name is his name was Frenchy. He was his butler, and he basically was just a <clears throat> typical 
cliche he, French man. That is he the one who shows up later? Like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Someone. Someone just like goes to talk Jean to him. Paul no. Duchamp or something like that. No. One thing I, I will point out is you know uh, for people looking at the book. Um, it's a full color comic, but the thing, you know, as um, as we mentioned before, he wears an all white, you know, three piece suit with a hood with a little moon symbol and white gloves and such. And whenever you see Moon Knight appear in the book, even though it's a full color comic, he always appears as a very stark white figure and he, and he really stands out no matter what the background or scene is and and uh, I read an interview with Jordi Belair and she said the way she was able to capture that effect most people think oh you just you know colored it white she's like that makes no sense you know she's like I didn't color it at all so basically when she went in she would do everything around him but basically that's just raw paper with you know inks and, and such and that's it she didn't bother color I mean, that made him stand out all the more and it forces you to have like very reds and very blues and very blacks as your background yeah mm-hmm. I was going to say like you know that panel you have up now there's what, four colors basically in there and mm-hmm. they're used so effectively you know he, he is this one color and in most of the panels everything around him you know, it, it's a very sort of iconic kind of drawing style it's not it's not hyper articulated or hyper accurate and it just and but it's also very heavy on the inks and it just has this cool kind of noir vibe to it definitely yeah definitely feels definitely the the way to look at it and so for time let's go ahead and wrap up the the first comic but basically there's some patched together old shield agent who's been stealing like (laughs) people's Organs. Yeah, basically Organs. pulling a dark man, if you remember that oh, old school like, movie. Oh, that is an awesome movie. Shout out to Liam Neeson. And then, so the reason, he's yes. like hanging out near gyms. Yeah. And he, which <laughs> I thought is hilarious. Yeah. He's like attacking, he's like, and the reason he's attacking these people <laughs> is because they have toned bodies but are doing nothing to help the military. So, <laughs> yeah, like, that, that whole angle, <laughs> like, Made me go, what? I love that. It's like he's killing like CrossFit enthusiasts. Exactly (laughs) what they do. Because they didn't decide to become cops or something. (laughs) That that part was weird and it made me reading and I think giving a villain a a credible premise or motivation is always like the hardest thing, I Mm -hmm. think. Unless they're just insane. And this guy saying, you know, it they was, didn't do anything with their toned bodies. It was kind of ridiculous. It was crazy. It, it would it would have actually, for me, been better if he if that was just left out. It's like this is just some crazy dude. In the no, that people. is Ellis, I, man. I, that I was is, gonna say yeah. that's, that's definitely Ellis. It's that very, is, uh, I don't know. It was, there's always that level of absurdity, and that's what makes it all the more frightening. Is that. Because that's the world he lives in. Yeah. This is the Marvel yeah. universe, and right. well, he's getting no shield. Even if you don't read, you know, yeah. he's not fighting Green Goblin and Hydra and all that. He's just getting the weird leftover stuff that <laughs> is caught of the universe. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it trickles down. I mean, where so that and that's what makes steps it above being a normal serial killer or crime procedure. It's like he's fighting crime. But it's, it's somewhere that lies between normal crime that we're used to in the real world and some odd shit that would happen <laughs> I guess only some, in the Marvel universe. Yeah, this is some everyday Marvel stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like, oh, I'm a pickpocket. You caught me, Moon Knight, but I don't steal wallets. I steal souls. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah. yeah. So I mean, shit it's, like it's that. Books. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, in an issue later when he's fighting those um, skinhead ghosts. Or I'm like, Let's get right. to that. Issue right. three. Ghost puncher. That's issue three. Yeah, yeah so, I'm just saying. 
So let's let's kind of move on to uh, issue two. Where's the cover for that? Yet? Issue two is. I only remember by covers. Issue like two is called Sniper, and it is, oh, the, it is the my favorite one. It is wow. the best of the yeah. six of the six that, that they did. That, and you know, we talked earlier about the the title, the 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 piece before the title sequence, right? Mm-hmm. This has the most James Bond of all of those because the the title, the Moon Knight title, doesn't appear until like the like almost the third to the last page because of the setup of the story. And it's essentially snapshots of different floors of a what we perceive to be a, like a building, like a... a and it's a, eight panels per page. It's eight panels, uh, yeah. yeah, eight roughly. panels per page. It starts yeah, off. Roughly, yeah. Um, but they go through and, and they essentially are following several people as they leave their jobs for the evening. Um, and they've all got various tones, but you can tell that they're all preoccupied with their jobs or stressed out by their jobs. Um, in in what appears to be like a in most cases a pretty dirty financial universe. Yeah, I mean it's a very straightforward. I mean you work too much kind of story, yep. and it ends with a sniper killing everyone on their way out. Yeah, like even one I think that late one of the ladies was leaving. She was like, "I'll see you way too early tomorrow, Bob," and then she dies, <laughs> and that explodes. Um, and I don't think. I mean that's pretty much all we have need to say about the actual story itself because what I really believe is the push the story is how it's told and I know I've already said paneling like two or three times but like just the blocks and how the story is told and, and what is left off of the page I think has the effect that made me really love this story well basically the opening sequence is you've got the individual stories being told in each panel block and the thing is, as each character and their individual story or their position on the page as they are being killed, that panel disappears in the eight-panel sequence. So then, you know, you go from eight, uh, eight blocks to six to seven. I mean, not seven. I'm sorry. I'm going <laughs> to six to four. Yeah. So basically, as everyone's getting killed, they're literally being wiped off the page. Yeah, which is really the cool. story. And, and then then left, that last one where yeah. it's just one panel. One guys, panel. And, and then it goes, and then after the first guy's got, it's like the beginning. Yeah. And yeah. it's like the, uh, the that was the um, the lead up to the introduction of the story. So that I thought was really good. Um, I thought the tech in this episode was well used, as I feel like most of these these comics and Warren Ellis have done, is they, they don't over gadget everything. And he yeah. looks cool. It definitely looks cool. And, yeah, and part of it was kind of addressing, you know, something that a lot of people complained about was when they initially said they were going to relaunch uh, Moon Knight. I remember at the time, a lot of fans kind of uh, didn't like the fact that Ellis was putting him in a a three-piece suit with a mask and not putting him in his traditional Moon Knight costume. So this issue kind of addresses that. that no, depending upon the situation is how Moon Knight dresses. So So that's his usual look. That's yeah, that's a that's a variation on how he normally usually looks. If he's, is, if he's combat fighting, right? Yeah. yeah. If he's solving a mystery, he's dressing like a suit. Yeah. By Sherlock Holmes or something. Huge ass cape. Huge ass cape. <laughs> he, he, he glides with it. Yeah. And he always yeah, has. And that, that's been a big part of the character. Um oh I love the why can, what is it like why can't I shoot you? It's because well, that like, confused me because there's one panel where you see him get shot. He actually goes, "Ow!" Oh yeah, he can be shot, but he likes to scare people into thinking that he is not. But then I thought I saw another panel, uh, like two pages later, where the sniper shoots him in the face. Oh, I, I missed that one. But I, I love the "Why can't I hit you?" 
I'm not real. I mean, because he's trying to make everyone afraid of him. That's why he's in white. That's why he wants people to see him. Is because that's what that's what Kanchu wants. Mm-hmm. And and in not to get too much into it, but in like past variations of Moon Knight, Kanchu doesn't like the way uh, Mark Spector is killing people because he wants to see mass destruction. Yes. I and mean, he wants he wants he's people. a vengeful Egyptian spirit. And he wants more people. And as as Moon Knight's kind of progressed forward. At least in the Ellis run here, it shows a Moon Knight that has more control over Khonshu than he has in like previous comics and the follow-ups to this, which I think the next six follow-up to this isn't very good. But then it's picked up again. Um, I don't know who the third writer is off the top uh, of my head. That was Brian Wood. No, no, no. Brian no. Wood did the second run. Damn it, I forgot. Yeah. Because <laughs> Brian Wood stuff, I guess, if he is the second guy, it's okay. It's probably Bendis. Uh, it's, probably, <laughs> it's not. It's not Bendis. I, I can't. I can't remember who did the third volume of this. It, it, it wasn't as good, but I thought still it was really good. Bun, Colin Bun. Yeah, Colin Bun. Yeah. Bun. I liked it, uh, but that, that is a conversation for another day. Yes. So, the end of this because it's pretty much a straightforward uh, second book. Um, the reveal is. Uh, what is it exactly, David? It's like a sniper well, who was in... The sniper was a tool. And what's great about this is that it's a, it's a bigger payoff if you've read Moon Knight for a while and you know more about him than they've actually just like led you on to, to know in the first two issues of this run, is that Mark Spector was kind of a tool for an organization, right? And that's ultimately kind of what led him down the path that he now is at the... He's on today. And you find out that there are... The, the narrator of this is actually a guy who shows up at the end of this story. Uh, and he keeps talking about the nine of them. And that leads you you know, to speculate there's someone out there that hasn't been killed yet because there's the eight people, as we talked about earlier, being killed uh, in the beginning of this book. And so he shows up at the very end and finishes his narration, essentially, with Moon Knight standing there. Um, and he, he kills this guy. Moon Knight kills him or the other no, guy? No, the, yeah, yeah. yeah, the other guy kills him. He, he kills the sniper. And he talks about the fact that they were all kind of terrible people and that they did horrible things and that those things were carried out by this mercenary or by this assassin. Um, and whenever they didn't have use for him anymore, they all retired and picked up jobs in the financial world. They wanted, to, they wanted no more to do with it, and so they backed away. And this guy couldn't handle that. Right, so he comes back and he starts killing them, um, and he's kind of a rabid dog that needs to be put down. Um, when was this put out? Maybe it was put out at the same time that uh, there there was. That was last year. Was, was it last year? Was it twenty fourteen? Right. So it was, 20, after, 20, it was after. It was after the housing bubble. I'd like to. Yeah. I'd like to <laughs> assume that all these financial people deserved it, and they're somehow. <laughs> these guys were in the Big Short. If you saw that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> these were nine. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, by far my favorite of the six run, um, I think is the best standalone story. I thought the story yeah. was told the best with the paneling. Yeah. Um, and it was just the him like flying through the air like off of his whatever drone that was and just the, the white against like the black knight. It, it, I thought it was just... Crescent glider, isn't that what they call I that? Think, Crescent yeah. glider? It sounds like something you get a Burger King for a dollar. I'll take four Crescent gliders, please. Or something that would have been around at McDonald's during the time of Mac tonight. Yeah. I, I, I imagine a Crescent glider is probably like a Burger King thing where yeah. it's, it's a cheeseburger yeah. on a croissant, yeah. but it's, very, it's a very tiny croissant, kind of yeah. like a slider. That's it? And that's it, yeah. You put it in your mouth and it glides. Burger King, Burger King, this is how you get back on the map. Chris, I will go and I'll eat a Crescent Glider every day. 
People are like, a move what? <laughs> I can see the horrible commercial for it now. It's just a bunch of inner city kids, like, uh, breakdancing, eating these crescent biters with colorful clothes on. I feel like every McDonald's and every Burger King commercial is basically that. Well, that, no, that's only when there's black programming on TV. <laughs> I, I don't know if you guys realize this, but, like, you know, I get the same commercials as you guys, but with black people, depending on what show I'm watching. So I happen to be watching, like, you know, something on BET or uh, Blackish or something like that. It's the same McDonald's commercial, but it's a black family, not a white family, which I think you guys are seeing. I don't know how it is for Asian and Asian people. What the hell? Hell, have you ever watched Telemundo or Univision? Like, it's the same damn car commercials, but they're in Spanish. And like it's it's a it's a Latino cast, but it's the same scenario. Do you think they keep the same backgrounds and they're like, all right, white commercial start? I think Are you guys so. done? No, Ritter the Latino. Literally, it is that. Latino. <laughs> I just remember uh, I, I used to watch Rap City uh, in high school mm. and uh, in the afternoons, and I just remember the the the. I guess that was my first real exposure. I mean, I, I grew up watching a lot of different kinds of television, and I've never really been. You know, colorblind or anything like that. So I guess like I that was my first like real like exposure to it. But yeah. I just remember I watched like a like a Paul Mollive commercial, something just as totally benign yes. as, as dish soap, and it was a woman singing a hymn doing the dishes. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and if I had seen, you know, and in my own mind, I was like, why would they do this? <laughs> what is the, was it necessary to do this? And she's just like, she's just singing, and she's got like a baby asleep. Praise her, and she's just praising the dishes. dishes. You know, I always wonder why Hulu was like, are you white? And I was like, yes. And like, it was only commercials it for like mayonnaise and white bread. Yeah. That's how Hulu's going to do it in the future. Like, if you are white, press one. And then it's just the whitest commercial ever. Hi, Bob, and they're just mowing the grass. <laughs> the grass like, hey, I bought another lawnmower today. <laughs> oh, really? Me too. No, before, before we get back on subject, I have to point out, it dawned on me as a kid, I remember being up late one night, uh, it was the Soul Train Awards. This is back in like the late 80s. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm watching the Soul Train Awards as a kid, and the two things that jumped out at me is that when it dawned on me that the McRib always came back in February, which is Black History Month, <laughs> That was the first thing I noticed as a kid, which now I think it comes back. It's you know, usually December. It's yeah, a holiday. Thing they they changed that. But then the second thing was that I remember seeing a, a car commercial. It was a Lincoln car commercial. And um, literally, it was like these like like these, these African tribal drums. And the narrator actually said, the words that came out of his mouth, you are a proud black man. <laughs> you should treat yourself and, buy, and show your power and buy a Lincoln Continental. And I was like, they were that, so blatant. <laughs> that commercial makes me want to buy a Lincoln Continental. <laughs> there are so I'm many... Like, hell yeah. <laughs> there are so many different things could have been way worse coming from Lincoln Car. They could have been like... Like, remember, yeah, remember he, he pretty do you good. remember President Lincoln? Do you remember what he did by Lincoln? <laughs> You're like, oh, come on. The guy just goes, you kind of owe I think that... So, moon night. Uh, yeah, we, we should definitely move on to moon night. So, the, the crescent sliders was a hell of a thing. Sorry. So, you were kidding when he said hot and loud. <laughs> Oh, it's getting hot in here. Yes. It really is. My action figures are about to melt. <laughs> we, um, you know, and you're right. He he looks cool. He look he. 
you can you can compare him to previous Moon Knights, right? Yeah. In his robes and his his combat outfit, if you will. But he looks tactical. He looks as if, hey, I'm dealing with somebody who's a trained killer. I'm not simply going to, and he's on a rooftop. I'm not going to ride the limo through the streets, stop at this building, take the elevator up in a suit, and fight this man. He right. knew that he was probably going to have to get a little dirtier, and it uh, and everything about it is it's minimal, but it's appropriate. And that's how um, book three is, and I can pretty much summarize book three in like three sentences, <laughs> um, probably longer because I talk too much. But basically. He's driving down the street at night, and then some ghost punk rockers come out of nowhere in Manhattan and just start beating the crap out of everyone. So he gets out, and he tries to beat them up, and he can't because they're ghosts. And he kind of freaks out and goes home, talks to um, Daddy Conchu, and Daddy Conchu is like... He's more like Dr. Conchu at this point because he's taken on the role of almost a therapist. Yes. He's basically, like, so Kanchu's like, well, I mean, I made you buy all that weird shit from Egypt. Why don't you go down there and see if any of it's there? Yeah. And he goes down there and he's like, I bought this? Yeah. <laughs> I read that. that. That whole sequence, like, from, from the, it's like if the Sex Pistols and Slimer from Ghostbusters were yes. combined to, I'm talking to a big dead bird, and it's telling me to start using all these. Egyptian artifacts that I bought to fight Slimer. I'm like, man, I'm I'm on board. So he suits up (laughs) in what has to be (laughs) the the coolest bone-wearing costume ever presented in the Marvel Universe. He's got like a samurai skirt on, and he's got a big beak. And don't even make a joke about it. No jokes made. Here we go. It's because even though it looks hilarious, it also really looks bad. It's awesome. It's so bad. And then he goes down there, and like the next panel that of him fighting. It's a, full page. it's a full page of him cracking this ghost's head open and Slimer Guts is like everywhere. He's got his hand wrapped in like what could be loincloth from an Egyptian like mummy. mummy it's head. an actual mummy piece. I tried to send you a screenshot as I was reading of that panel and just Moon Knight. Yeah. That, that's why I always refer to he that issue as ghosts apart. Moon Knight Ghost Puncher. Yeah. <laughs> the ghost punch in it is fantastic. Uh, this is just a fun... If you like ghost punching, Moon Knight 3. Yeah, I mean, basically, I mean, he decapitates some people. It looks really good. Uh, I mean, this is a ve- this is the most simple of the six by far. I mean, it's him killing ghosts. That's all it is. Well, and, you know, they, they, they mention it several times in this run is that he... You know, Moon Knight is an aspect of Khonshu spirit, right? Yep. It's an aspect on Earth of that. And he, in this issue, he takes on a literal suit of armor that was, you know, created when Khonshu was, you know, a relevant deity, right, by the Egyptian peoples to to be an aspect of Khonshu. And so it's he's basically like, you know, you're not the first aspect of my spirit. There, are, there. Are, you can find ways in my, you know, in in all of me that has ever existed to battle, you know, these these spirits and it's I think or these ghosts. It's it's fantastic. He just needs kind of almost that push. It's not, and it's an inward push, right? Because there's no actual conchu skeleton bird sitting across from him. He's asking inward, and the spirit is giving to him, uh, you know what he needs it's somewhere in his brain what he needs to know to be able to defeat them and that that goes back to something that's mentioned in the very first book that we didn't touch on but that he doesn't actually have multiple personality disorder or what they call DID the mm-hmm. uh, dissociative identity disorder um, he has brain damage because an ancient 
celestial higher being has inhabited his brain or not right <laughs> and and as a result he's not all these things these conversations that he's had or these these other aspects of himself over the years that he's been that he sees right um it's it's like a beautiful mind mm -hmm. it's it's brain damage and he has to learn when to be on a diet in his inside of his own his, his own person you know and that's fantastic <clears throat> is that when you think about what he's actually doing to solve these things he's asking the things inside of his own brain like he was a Benny Gesserit wish would do <laughs> explain to me the reveal at the end of three because I didn't really get it uh, there was some like punk rocker who killed himself in a basement and that's why there's all these ghosts is well, that basically because yeah, I didn't really understand there's it. always a piece to these stories where he's essentially or where Ellis is giving you what supernaturally is going on yeah. or naturally like yeah. with the sniper it was the end of the story is he was a tool for a group of mercenaries mm -hmm. they're self-contained stories and so he's also giving you a a final page right he's giving you something where you you're not curious as to whether or not the ghosts will pop back up again yeah but as far as how they became yeah it, it seemed like there was like a did music the box or kill something? his friends and then himself or just himself and and how did the rest of them die? I wasn't clear on that, but but yeah, I was like, you know, these are punk rock zombie ghosts. It was cool enough. <laughs> it was cool enough. Um, and so that brings us to four, uh, which was the sleep episode or the sleep comic, which probably was probably the trippiest. Issue. Oh, the, really trippy. The, and I also say that it opens up with Odin Burger, which made me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> There's like a burger place that is named. They probably have crescent gliders. The moon was a, a big thing in uh, in Norse mythology. So. <laughs> Again, another pretty um, pretty easy to explain story, which is great about this whole six run. And um, I thought it was. I thought it was weird, the motivation for the guy. So basically what happens, right, is this guy comes to Moon Knight because they have a friend in common, which is a backstory, um, which, is, which is cool to know but not necessary at all. Yeah. And uh, he's like, hey, I'm kind of a doctor, and I'm studying sleep, and anyone who comes and sleeps in my laboratory ends up going crazy and trying to kill himself or someone else. Can you come and try to figure out what's going on? Um, what, what ends up happening, skipping the meat of the story, is basically the doctor had killed someone and buried their body and you were inhaling mushrooms that growing were growing from spores, spores that were brain. growing in this man's brain mm -hmm. you were inhaling and then having those evil dreams and then killing people so i guess no i didn't skip anything that's the that's the story that's pretty much, that's it. Pretty much it i mean there's an awesome uh, few panels where they just go into this like trippy ass world inside this dude's head by the way i love that he's like conchu put me to sleep please how awesome would that be yeah, yeah. If you're stressed yeah. out as hell and you're like hey conchu he sleep He's he's a vengeful spirit of the night. So again, going back to my one of my reasons why I like Moon Knight over Batman is that like they never explain how Batman can do both. Occasionally they show him like waking up super late, but then they also want you to believe that he spends a lot of his time on planes and going to other you know countries and cities being a playboy, right? He literally can't sleep, and it's a, a further layer of why he's so insane because he doesn't get the sleepful you know or the restful sleep that the rest of us need to be able to stay alive. And that's, you know, he has to ask Kanchu to put himself into that state. Um, it's almost like permission at a certain point, right? Right. Which is a cool thing that, again, you don't need to know because you could just like, oh, okay, he's going to sleep now. 
And uh, really cool to see the trippy yeah. stuff. It, totally not like any of the other six right. in this it run. It becomes right? a Rob Zombie cartoon. <laughs> Absolutely. It becomes, <laughs> the, it becomes the segment from the Beavis and Butthead movie. Where they yeah. take peyote. Where they take peyote. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. It's fantastic. It, it's not like Everyday Moon Night. It was, it, was a way, it was an obvious way for the artist to kind of do some different stuff. Use the, some color. Use use like crazy trippy colors. Um, only stuff that you could do in daylight, which you know you don't see Moon Knight in the day. So mm-hmm. I, I thought it, I thought it was a really, real, real simple story again, and I, I just love the like the let's do acid and fight crimes, <laughs> and they they somehow made it work without it being like obvious oh we're in a trippy dreamland like because i had a cool enough like ending where it was like no you've been inhaling spores from a, a dead, dead man person. and that's why you're having crazy dreams <laughs> so that, since they're inhaling that man's his consciousness yeah, yeah that's cool inhaling someone's consciousness man well and, and again imagine any other i mean there's maybe one or two for each of these specific stories mm-hmm. uh, uh other heroes from the marvel universe yeah. that might also be in the situation punisher might have fought the sniper right right but he wouldn't have fought this guy or um you know dr strange dr strange or morbius yeah. or sleepwalker might have fought the ghost punks the ghost punks yeah. or or this brain mushroom man right but they wouldn't have fought the sniper no or the the crazy shield man at the beginning but captain Harrigo <clears throat> might have fought the crazy shield man he exists in this world that really is like fringe marvel yeah and there's a lot to be done there and i think that that's 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 the the purest thing about these books is that ellis can write this in the marvel universe but have it be wholly unique to 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 moon knight Maybe not issue by issue, but the entire run yeah. can only make sense for Moon Knight. Right. Absolutely. Um, back to back, three and four, really easy to read, yep. and um, not no continuity at all. Yeah. Pretty good. Um, the next book in the series, second to last, the fifth one, is him rescuing someone, a little girl, who's at the yeah. top of... Uh, an abandoned hotel, maybe, and is pretty much the written version of a movie. Dread. This is my favorite uh, issue dread. of all. That's what I because yeah. I had just seen Dread's Raid. English Raid. And uh, it's, it's an excellent, yeah. expertly oh. choreographed fight <laughs> sequence. You know, that goes from level to level. And, I mean, if you've ever watched, you know, Bruce Lee in Game of Death or, like I said, uh, the first Raid or even Dread, I mean, it's a, it's a very simple premise. He has to go, hell, it's like a video game. It's Donkey Kong. It's basically, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, it's uh, Moon Knight. He sh- tracked some kidnapped little girl to the top of this building, and he has to go ascend each level and take out whatever boss Yep. Is uh is there yeah. waiting for him? Uh, the ultimate being uh, when he has to fight Morris Day of Morris Day in the Time <laughs> right at the top, man. Decked in all we all we owe. Yeah. <laughs> well, not so much. Maybe more Prince than Morris yeah. Day. Evil, evil Prince. Golden knives. And he's like, yeah, the, the, that's the one guy that's able to cut him or whatever. He just goes nice, and then takes the guy out. I love the panels where he snaps the guy's hand. Like the it's uh-huh. just the top three panels is like you can see where. He broke the one hand and then grabbed the other hand and threw it into the guy's knee. Yeah. 
That was awesome. I mean, th- th- you don't have to say anything about this other than it's basically Judge. It's basically the the Dread movie, basically Raid. It's the fight sequence in uh, the Protector Two yeah. with Tony Jaw when he's working his way up the staircase and he's just beating ass and not slowing down and just trying right. to get to the top of that building to catch the helicopter. It is literally that in comic form, um, and, and and I think it's it's it's, it's very uh, indicative of, of the thing I've loved about this whole run but what I love about uh, Declan Chalvey and um, Warren Ellis is just, you know, people for I, I encounter people who are like, I just don't like comics, they're just dull, they're just boring, you know, I'd rather watch these comic book movies and that's it but there is such kinetic energy and pace and speed. pace and speed yeah. uh, in, these, in these panels and it's just amazing how you know, you feel this stuff happening even though it's a static image. Yep. You know, like, and, and it's amazing. It's, it's wonderful. And it makes me wonder why they don't hire more comic book artists to do, you know... Um, like choreograph action scenes in movies. Or, yeah, or even storyboarding for movies oh, yeah. and stuff. Absolutely. I wonder if they do, though. Well, they do. Some guys, you know... Um, only thing, only one more thing I want to mention about this book mm-hmm. is that second to last page where he's saving the kid and... Um, he's basically like, hey, I must look kind of scary, blah, blah, blah. Um, and she says, yeah, yeah, she says, um, it's not, referring to his mask, he refers to his mask, and she says, it's not a mask, it's your face. And he says, smart girl. And that's kind of bringing home what Moon Knight is. Is that he is Moon Moon Knight. And that is even more... Um, and that is basically the last page of the last book that we're about to go, or the last comic we're about to talk about, happens again. Um, but then uh, the moon drone gets the last kill. Yeah, oh, that was great. You see, <laughs> that's the, right. You see the, la- the last guy running across the the roof of the building, like the one guy moon I didn't get, and then yeah. the drone thing. The crescent glider. The crescent glider gets the man. <laughs> Uh, so now we're we're down to the last last uh, comic of the series, which ties into Darts. the first comic of the series. Basically, the um, the asshole cop who didn't like Moon Knight at the very beginning is like, man, who is Moon Knight but a dude in a suit? And he's like, I'm gonna find out a lot about this guy in a suit, and I'm gonna become. The new Moon Knight after I kill this Moon Knight. And throughout the whole thing, he's justifying it to his girlfriend. And she's just watching TV and totally ignoring him until the end. And she's like, wait a minute. You're just going to go kill Moon Knight? And this is after Moon Knight, or the The cop, cop, who tries to become his new arch enemy. And who's his arch enemy's name again? Do you remember? Who, Moon Knight's? Yeah. Well, (coughs) he's, he's had several over the years. His two biggest are Bushman and Taskmaster. So it was it was a Bushman that this guy was trying to turn Black into Black Spectre. Black Spectre, right? That's right. So he so he's like, I'm gonna be the new Black Spectre, which we don't have to get into that. But Black Spectre has been like a recurring villain right. for Moon Knight for a while. So and he learns how to use darts real well. <laughs> Figures that that's really gonna work well against. <laughs> that was the weirdest Moon thing Knight. to me. You see him, you know, when they have a confrontation, he throws a dart at Moon Knight. It's like, yeah, it's <laughs> just. I, mean, I should have picked a different weapon. Yeah, it's stupid. Um... Well, and again, we've talked about this several times about some of the previous issues in this run, is that there's a level of absurdity. Yeah, it's totally. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was super into it. He, Ellis knows that this is not 
this is not a character that Marvel pushes because it makes the most sense. Yeah. It needs to be fringe. And yeah. part of that is being able to inject in some of the absurdity. It's meta, right? Yeah. It's the, you know, the absurdity that surrounds a character whose backstory is Moon Knight's backstory, right? Has to have some of that in the pages or else it becomes something it's not. Right. I will say that this character, though, this cop, was super believable for me as a cop. Because he's, because he like, there's these like panels of him like throughout his life being like shat on basically, and like making him like for like why he became like a cop was basically because he failed at like a bunch of things and he wanted to have a little bit of power. Right. Now obviously not talking about the majority of cops. I'm just saying we're gonna this, get like hate mail. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, just, I'm, I'm a just saying, cop, but I listen to your podcast. <laughs> yeah. You listen to our podcast. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Only angry cops. <laughs> uh, but I mean, the the backstory, the development of this baddie in just two pages was solid and super believable right off the bat. At no point was was I like that doesn't make sense. Like he's a guy who like wants power, and he's a guy who wants to be the new Moon Knight. He wants to be something bigger than he is, and it's just believable coming from where he came from. In the, right. The, it's not about doing the right thing. It's about the prestige yeah, that comes with that. Absolutely, position. and. Uh, basically, he trains for a while. He bribes people for information. He becomes the Black Spectre. He decides to rig up a bunch of cars to explode when Moon Knight comes by. And it is like the most anticlimactic baddie ever. Yeah. So basically, basically yeah, Moon Knight <laughs> himself. Yeah, Moon Knight drives up. Something explodes. Moon Knight like jumps from the car. He's not even in the car. Not right? even in the, in the car. Trailer. That's right. And then the second explosion goes off and kills the new Black Spectre, basically. And, <laughs> and Moon Knight's like, "Well, that, all right, like, that sucks." Um, but going going back to what. Moon Knight says at the end um, let, he says let me tell you let me tell you a thing about me people who love me suffer and die I never wanted to be loved and that's why I always win and that's the end of this Booyah. and to me that's like one of those like say it in your Batman voice endings like for sure you know like that's why I always win <laughs> and so it's kind of corny in that way but I mean that's Moon Knight and I I thought it was a it was a fitting end for that six comic run, and I love that this dude like tried to be a really badass bad guy, and then just ended up being a dude who could throw darts and got blown up. Right, and you know it it harkens back to the fact that this this world that Moon Knight lives in, right? I mean, this it would be it would have been more unbelievable or 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 less engaging had he ended up being a really strong bad guy because even like what no there's no way this cop trained in a montage between two pages we learned his backstory used darts and then he fought moon knight we've seen moon knight kill hundreds of people in in the high-rise apartment buildings and a sniper who was trained to murder professionally he's going to get killed by a, a nyc cop <laughs> Yeah. Or get beat up on by NYC. It, it went the only way it could, yeah. and yep. it's and it's fantastic for that. Well, you mentioned his his voice, and I guess that's something that I've also never really like latched onto with Batman is that he has to mask his voice that way because he is Bruce Wayne. He just also happens to be Batman. He's not Mark Spector anymore. He could talk normal as Moon Knight, and it would probably have more effect for me. And that's how I've always read his voice was he's just a very calm, 
man, and that's what makes him more unnerving to me, is that he doesn't have the need for the theatrics. He's like Batman, and uh, it's like the Michael Keaton Batman. Batman. I always like that more because he just talks like a guy yeah. instead of like this. It's true. Well, I think that's also the thing I like about a lot of Marvel characters is that you know, with Marvel characters, they are who they are despite their costumes and their disguises. Spider Man's a perfect example. Yeah, I mean, like, granted, you know. Well, the they're, they're, they're Spider-Man, they got to a point where Peter Parker and Spider-Man were pretty much the same guy. But, you know, it used to be that Spider-Man was a show. It was a way for Peter to express himself, you know, as opposed to just being the regular shy, nerdy kid. But, you know, Mark Spector, if you say Bruce Wayne, or you, if you've seen him on TV or you hear his name or whatever, like, you know who Bruce Wayne is. And, you know, that's an identity that has to be hidden. You say the name Mark Spector is Moon Knight. That wouldn't mean shit to most people in the Marvel Universe. They're just like, I don't even know who that guy is. And I'm like, well, he's not famous like Bruce Wayne or any of that stuff. So he's got nothing to protect. He's got nothing to hide. It's just, you know, this persona he takes to... It's like putting on a work uniform. That's it. You know? And uh, I like that about, like I said, those Marvel characters. You know, there is no difference between... Uh, Matt Murdock and Daredevil. He doesn't have to put on airs. Yep. You know, if you tried to attack Mur Matt Murdock, he'd still beat the shit out of you. He'd beat that ass. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so we know what we liked about this book. I think the the things that we liked about it, um, I know that I, I said paneling like 300 times. I really liked the way the, how the art <laughs> the was. The layout, yeah. I really, I really enjoyed the layout. I think we all agreed that um, for a six comic book run, I thought it was good that it was pretty much standalone stories. Um, I think... That's, that's what we've said over and over. Now let's take a second where we can crap on it. Well, <laughs> before we, before we crap not. on it, what I want to say, what I, what I really liked after reading those six issues is I think if you took that run and maybe, let's say if you're an adult, because maybe this isn't something a 12-year-old should read, but uh, if you've seen the movies and maybe that's not your thing and you, don't, you haven't read comic books... You know, that much of a sense of what they're like. Because they're usually pretty different from those Marvel movies, which are big, glitzy action things where everything more or less makes sense. There's not a lot of weird character going on in those movies. But in the comics, there's all kinds of crazy shit. There's all kinds of things like that they pulled out of a B-movie and made it work in a more realistic way. And there's so much more richness, I think, to those stories in the comics. What's cool about this six-issue run is it's pretty self-contained. They don't, they don't tell you a lot about his backstory if you don't really need it to enjoy those six issues. Uh, to me, it gave me a sense of what superhero comics can be like that the movies and the more mainstream depiction never shows you. So I think if you're someone who you know, likes the Avengers movies or, or you don't really care for them, it's not, it's not weird enough, I think if you read these six issues, it'd be a good primer for how crazy the stuff can get in, yeah. in the comic book. I agree. If someone was like, I only read Image because I'm not into comic book superhero, stuff. superhero yeah. stuff, I would be like, I agree with you that most of it is ridiculous, and I, I love that ridiculousness, so I'm cool with it. But read this, because th here's a comic book superhero that is kind of an anti-hero, kind of not, but it's, I mean... It's a good superhero jam. Yeah. Yeah, and for me it was, let's say you don't go to, like you're not, a, I know plenty of people that just don't go to the movies, right? And so they're not probably going to have any exposure to those movies. Not necessarily that they don't like them, but their thing is reading or potentially they watch a lot of Netflix, right? 
let's say you've seen Jessica Jones and Daredevil. This is the perfect comic book for you to get. Probably even more so than some of the Daredevil and Alias stuff, right? I mean, yeah. I think I think if you've if you like that sort of thing, almost serial in a way, you yeah. know, this is this is the way to go. It's fantastic. And I also say, I mean, there's been some talk about potentially Netflix doing a Moon Knight yes, series. There has. I, I feel a, I feel a lot of it comes from this run in particular of, of Moon Knight because it's so. I don't want to say grounded because there's some crazy shit in it. <laughs> it's but making crazy it's, stuff and somehow it's, grounding. It's budget that, friendly, you uh, know, for yeah. for some kind of production. And I think after having seen Daredevil, and like if you if you if you've watched Daredevil and Jessica Jones, like this is an excellent follow up. Same tone. Yeah, same yeah, tone. Um, just very bizarre. Set in New York, just like those two, and yeah. I think that's really what they're they're doing with that entire series, anyways. You know. I agree. So, for, um, because we've rambled on a bunch, I want to end with two things. First of all, is there anything um, about this six that irked you or that you wanted less of or more of that you thought would have made it a better six? Or is there anything that you walk away from this comic where you're just like, it really needed this for it to be top tier to me? This was this was a dream come true for me. And in, in the months leading up to, you know, even the year before where they had mentioned where Warren Ellis, and I follow him on you know Instagram and Twitter and things, and you know, he said, hey, Declan and I are working on Moon Knight. I'm like, oh my God. And I think I even probably reached out to Sequoia and said, I can't believe this is going to happen. I, I'm beside myself. Warren Ellis, uh, Planetary and, and Transmetropolitan are my two favorite comic series of all time. And it was, for me, my favorite comic book character that never, I wouldn't say never, but rarely gets the love and the kind of creative uh, force behind it that it deserves. Getting my absolute favorite creative force of modern comics it was very difficult for me to, to go into this with anything but the most monumental of expectations. And in reading it, I, I honestly cannot say that I felt that there was a lot that was missed. And you know, it's because I knew a lot about Ellis's style before, and I knew a lot about the hero, and he delivered on pretty much a, almost all the things that I would like to see. You know, I was, I was hoping, like, I hope Taskmaster doesn't show up. Or Bushman or Crossbones. I think that that, that was a strength. It was a strength that yeah. it, it kept it to a few characters. One thing that I would mention is that I don't think that, like, this, not secondary characters, but the third and fourth characters that were in there, I don't think that any of them were really necessary. The other personalities, you mean, as, as the. Well, he spoke to his. Um, Frenchie. The, well, in, like, that's the kind of stuff I didn't really care for in, in the last comic. And there was also, like, he was speaking to his therapist or whatever. That was okay. I mean, I really feel like the way it was written, that no more can be written. Because there, I mean, you could only do like another six run that were exactly like this, as in like little stories. Yeah, I'm not sure. Silo. I'm not sure how far that can be taken without having like an ongoing story. Right. Um, so that, that's my critique, which isn't really a critique at all. It's, it, it's a really good six. I was happy with it. I, I would put it very close to my top tier comics. Like if I were to buy, uh, if I were, uh, absolutely, if I were to buy a volume of any Moon Knight, it would be hands down this. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And you've since, that was that the first Moon Knight you read? Or you yeah, read? I've read everything um, back to the early 90s. Okay, so, so, so I'm the only one who had no... Well, I, I had, 
I hadn't known about Moon Knight until Dave. And I read this first. Okay. So I evangelize about Moon Knight a lot. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> since, no even with the analysis, even before uh, Sequoia knew me, I think that that was something that came up early in our, our relationship, you know, just in, in our friendship was, oh, wow, I love Moon Knight. <laughs> Which is something that, you know, utterly amazes me because I've never heard those words. Like, I love Moon Knight. Like, it's like, are you, like, are you messing girl. with me right now? Because, yeah. I mean, Do not put Moon Knight and Squirrel Girl beside I'll, themselves. I'm, I'm not. <laughs> right. And I don't dislike Squirrel Girl. I'm just saying that they're characters that are very ancillary. I hate her in are. the new X-Men or whatever X-Men she's in. I, and I'll, I'm going to rant and rave about that next time because I plan <laughs> on... No, it's Avengers. She's in the Avengers. It's a Squirrel I, Girl episode. I just... I need... We need to level set with the X-Men and Avengers, guys, because there's too many of them. But there's that's a, a rant for later. We'll do very... If we do it, we'll do very small... God. Small runs. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so as someone who... Did not know a thing about that character, and I'm not even sure how much Warren Ellis I've read. Uh, I think if I was going to have a criticism, it's not really a criticism, I would maybe have liked to have gotten some context on who these ancillary characters that show up in right. this six-issue run, who they are. Um, the two... The two alter egos, I guess, the one that I called Mario, and then the <laughs> other guy who are look like ghosts that are standing in the living room of this mansion, and then there's Birdman, and then Kanchu, uh, and, and then later you see the French guy and the woman Marlene, or something like yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah, see, I don't, know, I don't know who any of these people are. I don't know what their connection is to this Mark Spector guy only that they have some history with him and they're not the biggest fans. Um, and I can't decide, like, maybe I like it that way because I don't like things to be explained for me. I kind of I wish that this had been a, a six-issue setup for something from the same team that brings his broader universe or his, his mythos into this current story. I really want to see... I mean, I know that they did not continue after that six issues... I wish they had because I wanted to see more of of that tone and that art that told more about who this character is. So it's it's a, a testament to how awesome it was if your criticism is I wanted more of it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. And I'm sure we can speak about Moon Knight a little bit longer, but we're going to wrap this up in a quick segment that is called Kill, Keep, or Reboot. I said that very Canadian, didn't or I? Reboot, or reboot, yeah. Reboot, or reboot. Um, Are you apologize for that? <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry that I said reboot. <laughs> um, for our Canadian listeners, if you exist, he actually is Canadian. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm making fun of Canadians <laughs> exist, if that's what you're getting at. <laughs> um, so I'm going to go ahead and say that my quick answer to this is that we need to go ahead and kill any future Thanos books, in my opinion. There has been a few that have been great. Thanos has had had a really good run in the cosmic stuff, but all these newer in the past like four or five years of like Thanos like pre-stories and stuff like that. Oh that origin one? Oh god, it was I awful. Could not get it. No. The origin one was so stupid. Child the, Thanos child murderer. Little Thanos. Yeah. So that's my kill. Amos, yeah. what about you? Um Alright, this one's not really serious because I know that it would you know anyone would hate me for thinking that. 
But I'd be okay if they killed Steve Rogers at this point. Yes. Because, and I know, I mean, I know that, and I love Captain America. He's one of my favorites. But I I love what they're doing with Sam Wilson as Cap. Those, the five issues I've read of Sam Wilson, Captain America, the post-Secret Wars, I love that stuff. And I, and I love that the, I can't think of the writer is right now, but I love that he's not afraid to put this character in these kind of controversial positions, which, you know, as, I mean, he's got a flag all over him and he's somewhat connected to American history, military stuff. There's a lot of potential for controversy that, that Steve Rogers has always been above and, and, you know, not commented on, but Sam Wilson has his opinions and he's expressing them. I, think I really he, like those stories. He's way more interesting to me as Captain America than Captain America was as Captain America. Because it's, Captain America is basically the Superman of Marvel. It, you know, got, like, and and as somebody who loves Superman, I also love Captain America for that same reason. I love that he is like virtue incarnate in his way. I mean, he has his, his maybe personal defects and failings, but in the way he treats people... He's always very fair. Uh, so I like that character. But now that he's supposedly going to be coming back as not old Steve Rogers, he's going to be you know, the Steve Rogers everyone knows again, what's going to happen with Sam Wilson? I agree. I want him to keep being uh, Captain America. Are you going to be able to talk to us next time about the Sam Wilson books uh, uh, as Captain America? The first five. I think I have the first five. Cool. I don't know yeah, if let's that do covers. That. Yeah, because I haven't read them yet, so I'd, I'd like to hear your high overview. Yeah, All right, Dave. Kill, keep, or reboot? Am I picking one of these three? Yeah. Pick someone that you want to kill, someone you want to, or someone you want to keep, or a comic book you want to reboot. Yeah, so I'll, I'll actually do two of these really quickly, if you don't right. mind, and I'll, I'll be very brief with them. Uh, the first is Kill Batman, and I know that I talked about... <laughs> well, they already did. For well, <laughs> right. I, and like I know that... that um, and I mean it more in the sense of, of Batman, the Bruce Wayne, the character, right? Yeah. I feel that Gotham, in the, the shadow of Bruce Wayne's death, right, it, let it come to light that it publicly he is, Bruce Wayne is Batman, and the whole world knows it, right? Just, just, this all happened. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> like I the, the most recent run. Is I think that it, you need to do it in a way that does more than just like puts his name out there, that exposes him. In, in such a grandiose way that they have to, it's, it's you know kind of what was they foretold at the end of the second of the Nolan films, right? Is that you either you know die hero or you live long enough to see yourself yeah. become the villain. I would love to see um, the DC universe move forward, and you could fill it with a detective kind of character like Batman. You could even have somebody take up the mantle, which is what all Jim books Gordon. are. What's that? Like Jim Gordon? Yeah, I mean because he can, is because like. I think what you're. Have you read the most? No, I, and, and again, I don't. I don't particularly love the character, so uh, my my stuff is kind of limited to like Hush or Killing yeah. Joke or. You might want to check out. I don't know if you'll like it or not, but the the most recent um, ten issues or so. That's basically what what is happening. Right. So okay. I'll definitely check it out, and I I, I think that if if I was going to do it, and I. 
you know, I like Superman, but I feel like you couldn't kill him. And I think that's what I like about it, which is why I found the death of Superman so ridiculous, is that I love the fact that he is unkillable. So you have to find really creative ways, which they fail at a lot. Yeah. But uh, I loved All-Star Superman for that reason. And I liked All-Star Batman, too. Yeah. Um, but something along those lines. As for a reboot, really quickly, there was a almost non-existent to the public consciousness uh, label in the early 2000s called CrossGen that had a comic book oh, called yeah. El Cazador, which was a pirate <laughs> comic book. Um, I wear uh, literally all of my, uh, my things on my sleeve as I'm wearing a Moon Knight shirt, and I have a pirate uh, sleeve. My entire right arm is tattooed in piratical things. Uh, I loved El Cazador for that. It wasn't the best. It was written by, I think Chuck Dixon wrote that book. Uh, which is great because he actually wrote an entire run of Moon Knight in the late 80s, early 90s to tie that back in. Woo! Uh, but uh, I would really, really love to see, not necessarily El Cazador come back, but I think there's a complete lack of a pirate comic book right now. Totally. I want to see that. Or just other genre yeah. comics, which was nice about CrossGen in general. Yeah, I got my fix with that a little bit with the original, uh, what was it, uh, 1602? Yeah. And then they did the 1602 series like later on, but... Not not really to the same extent that I would love if like the you guys watch the the Black Sails show on Stars like that something really really rooted in that you know romantic piratical. We need more pirates and comics. Yep. All right, so Give go ahead. End it for us. Kill, reboot, or keep. If I was going to kill anything, I want to kill. Uh, this new book that DC's putting out called Scooby-Doo Apocalypse. Oh, God. It looks so bad. It looks terrible. They've taken the success of the Archie stuff. The zombie Archie stuff? Yeah, yeah, and they're trying to modernize. I mean, I, you know, and I can't say that across the board for them modernizing the Hanna-Barbera stuff overall, but I feel like if you don't have a cartoon series to back any of this stuff up with, I don't much see what the point is. I am excited for the Future Quest stuff with... Sure. Um, with uh, Evan Doc Shainer, because uh, I love those old Hanna-Barbera adventure cartoons like Johnny Quest and Herculoids and Space Ghost and all that crap. But, um, and I don't know much about the other stuff, you know, but um, trying to make Scooby-Doo hip. Don't do it. I, I don't I don't get it. I, I don't, and, and I guess the other thing I'm kind of annoyed by, as much as I love and respect Jim Lee as an artist, he is not the guy to get to mm-hmm. draw that because you know, Jim Lee's style is Jim Lee, and when he draws people, they're only going to look like Jim Lee characters, and nothing about that seems conducive to a funny Saturday morning cartoon. Well, you know, the, the mystery gang are going to join X-Men Blue Team from the early <laughs> <90s>. <laughs> That's awesome. But yeah, like Scooby-Doo, I don't know if he talks in this book. I think he's got some, he like projects emojis or something like yeah. that. He does. It looks awful. And, and, and oh Shaggy's God. got like a beard, and he's all tatted up. Yeah, and... I saw his sleeve, and I was like, yeah. oh, boy. I was like, that's it kind of looks like you, Dan. <laughs> if you have had a, uh, goatee. Yeah, had a goatee. So, All right. Well, from Sequoia and Dave and Amos and Blake, this was the comic trope. We hope you enjoyed it. And catch us next time, whenever that may be, where we'll talk about comics and other crap. So have a good one, guys. Yeah.